Hello everybody and welcome back to Witchfix. Today I am not only trapped inside my house by coronavirus, I am trapped inside my room by the pollen count. So I'm afraid I may sound a teeny bit congested, but rest assured the audio quality is nothing compared to how terrible I feel. So uh, I've decided to try and cheer myself up by the questionable decision of watching a movie, which has been on my to watch list for a while, and that is Stranger in Our House from 1978. Now this film, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with this film. It was released in the US as a TV movie, but in the UK, which is where I live, uh, it got a theatrical release, so uh, I may at times refer to it as both a TV movie and a, and a normal movie, both of which are technically correct. It was directed by Wes Craven, who is obviously the director behind such things as Many Nightmares on Elm Street, Very Screams, and Hills with Eyes, uh, but he, he also directed this. And this film also stars Linda Blair from Witchcraft, aka Witchery, and literally no other film. I did not realise how many Witchcraft-related films she had been in, but this is apparently her third role since she was in, I don't know, some film called The Exorcist. But there you go, she's in this. And this movie is also based on a book. It's based on a book called Summer of Fear from 1976, and which was written by Lois Duncan. I have not read that book, but I have read a book called The Eyes of Karen Connors, also released as Third Eye, also by Lois Duncan. Probably one of my favourite teen novels. I still have a copy of it. I haven't reviewed it for the podcast because technically it's about a psychic teenager and not a witch. But I, I really adore The Eyes of Karen Connors. It's it's the story of a girl who develops psychic powers, which is inherited from her family and struggles to try and solve a kidnapping case while also being a teenager. Anywho, uh, we're going to get into this movie and uh, we'll see what what's going on with it. On a special note, I actually watched the movie yesterday <laughs> and uh, now resuming recording because that minor congestion that I had turned into literally the full-on face-melting eyes falling out, hay fever symptoms that I've come to know and love so much. So I spent most of yesterday lying face down on my bed listening to the audiobook of The Beach. Um, but I did take comprehensive notes as I watched the movie, so um, it's over to pass Sarah to see if she wrote down any of the right things. What I will say is that even in the depths of my pollen-related misery, I actually enjoyed this movie. It was an enjoyable story, although it was very 1970s in terms of everything, like from the hair to the actual plotline, it reeked of the 1970s. You could probably put this film in a museum and just show it to people and go, this is what that decade was like, because this was everything. So I did actually quite enjoy this movie. There are no trigger warnings that I can really think of, aside from maybe some scenes which may appear at first to be incest, but which within the plot of the movie are not. So. That might seem confusing to you, but um, I'm just going to warn for that, just in case. The film starts with just all guns blazing, screaming into action, because we get this sort of weird 70s cop drama music, like... Da -da -da, da -da 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 -da, and this car comes like screaming down the road, uh, and it's driving really erratically, and it kind of looks like it's been made out of a tin can, because that's what they made cars out of back then. Uh, and then we get this weird, like, superimposed woman with a lot of curly hair kind of like cackling over this car just like screeching down the road and she has really weird eyes um like weird kind of contacts in so I'm, I'm assuming that's the witch that we're meant to be worried about in this movie because this movie is about a witch uh, the car then misses a bend becomes an instant fireball and just rolls down a cliff so the people in that car are, are definitely dead 
Um, we then cut to some girl who's asleep and she wakes up and she also has a lot of curly hair. So for a minute I was like, is that the, the cackling girl? But it's Linda Blair. And this is the second movie, the first being Witchery, where Linda Blair's first scene is that she just wakes up and then is in the film. Like that that's just the first scene that she's in. So I'm starting to feel like maybe she's like an exotic animal that they tranquilize and then they just put her in a bed somewhere and they just tell her that it's her life. And then she thinks the movie is real. She goes out of her bedroom and speaks to her mum and dad, who were very upset because her mum's sister, aka her aunt, and her husband have been killed in a car accident. And they were also in the car with their housekeeper, who they were apparently dropping home. This seemed a little bit weird. Why would they be driving around with the housekeeper? But when they were like, oh yeah, they were just taking her home, I was like, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. The film is very good in, in misleading me, so um, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later as we discuss the plot. But the three of them died in the car crash, leaving behind Julia, the daughter of the couple, uh, as the sole survivor. And she is uh, Linda Blair's age, Linda Blair's character being called Rachel. Uh, Rachel is told to take care of her younger brother, Bobby, uh, while the parents go away to attend the funeral. The mum is completely distraught by the news of this death. She just randomly exclaims in the middle of the scene, it's all so temporary. And um, that made me laugh. So probably not the desired effect. Um, there are quite a few scenes in this film where an uncertain amount of time seems to pass. And the following is one of them because we get this scene where it's like, we're going to attend the funeral. And then the very next scene is Rachel going on a horse riding lesson with very idyllic, the sun is bright over the meadow type music. And uh, she's riding with this guy who's called Mike and they have a kiss while on horseback, which seems dangerous and like your teeth are going to bash together. But I mean, clearly they're in a relationship. They discuss how Julia is now coming to live with the family. So I was uncertain as to how much time had passed. The movie did not care to enlighten me, uh, but they get back to the house and um, Rachel just rides her horse straight into the driveway, like in front of the house, as opposed to leaving it in the stable and then walking up to the car. The reason she does this is because the horse needs to freak out upon seeing Julia to signify that she is evil. But it just seemed very weird to me that she would just ride her horse directly up to the house in the driveway. And I'm not a horsey person. I don't know if this is normal, but it didn't seem normal. Uh, Julia is wearing very kind of frumpy clothes, like a kind of dark brown ankle length Puritan dress, which is really odd and struck me as a little bit weird, but then I quickly forgot about it, uh, which is just another mark of the movie just kind of leading you away from things that you should be remembering so hold on to that idea uh, after the horses freaked out uh, they all go inside and julia is told she'll be staying in rachel's room which again seemed weird to me because this is a massive ass house and these people own a horse um and the dad is apparently some sort of financial stock market trader guy it seemed weird that they would have to share a room but there we go. So she's sharing Rachel's room and she instantly picks up a picture of Rachel, comments about um, how she's got so many nice things, how her dad is rich. And then she picks up a picture of Mike, the boyfriend, uh, and admires him as well. So there are already distinct single white female vibes. We then meet Peter, who I thought initially worked on the estate that these people seem to own, but he turns out to be Rachel's older brother. Uh, he disappears from the film. So um, at some point I will just stop mentioning Peter. That's not because I stopped taking notes about him. He just vanished. Yeah, they then have a like weird conversation between Rachel and Peter, which that starts off with her like brushing a horse and him being like, you want to go out with Mike tonight? And her being like, yeah, but you should stay and keep Julia company because I don't want to leave her alone because 
want to go out with my boyfriend. And then they move this conversation under the horse, which is a boy horse. So apparently some secrets can only be shared over a side of horse penis. They have this conversation. Julia appears at dinner wearing a very fashionable, like, not fashionable, but like just a very grown up dress. And the dad comments like how nice it is to see women dressing for dinner in something other than blue jeans. And Linda Blair's like, dad, which sets up the whole family vibe. Like that's all you need to know about their relationship. And then Julia accidentally drops a plate um, when she's handling it. And she says, oh, company's coming. And then she talks a little bit about how that's a superstition in the Ozarks, which is where uh, Julia and her family lived. We find out through this conversation that she didn't actually live in the Ozarks for that long. Her family moved there and that she actually attended school in Massachusetts, which is like the home of all the witchy shit. Peter seems to be hitting on her, which is weird because Peter is Julia's cousin, her first cousin. Is this a normal thing in America? Because no one seems to think this is weird. In England, it would definitely raise some eyebrows. Rachel then uh, goes to the bedroom for no really apparent reason. Mike appears at dinner and takes her seat and she just kind of wanders into the bedroom. She knocks over Julia's suitcase and finds inside a small metal canister that contains a human tooth. As you do. Why does she have this tooth? I don't think it's ever explained why she has the tooth. The tooth then ceases to be important, but um, it's definitely weird. Rachel then tells uh, Mike, who has come to take her out, about the tooth. She also makes fun of Julia's accent, which is obviously very different to their accent because they live in California and she is from, I think they said Arkansas. Uh, so she, they're from very different places and she makes fun of the way that she's dressed and, and things like that. It's kind of like light teasing, like, oh, did you get a load of this? But at the same time, I feel like Julia's family died tragically a week ago and Rachel needs to step the fuck off. We then cut to a scene where Rachel tries to get Julia to go shopping with her. Again, it's not clear how much time has passed since Julia actually moved in. Has it been weeks? Has it been months? But then Rachel's mum says, it's time we all start looking on the bright side. And it's like, wow, mum, she, she, she was orphaned in a car crash. And you're just like, ah, go to the mall. It's great. So there you go. Her mum's just kind of completely recovered from that earlier. It's all temporary kind of anxiety that she was suffering under. Uh, Rachel then introduces Julia to her friend Carolyn, who's played by Fran Drescher, and who works at a hospital which is nearby the mall. Questionable city planning. We don't really see Carolyn in too many scenes, but she, she's introduced, I guess, to show that Rachel has friends or friend. Julia then goes off on her own for a little bit, and when she comes back, she looks like Rachel. She has super, super, like, curly 70s permed hair. She's wearing, like, a beige short and waistcoat two-piece and a salmon pink shirt. And this is apparently the thing. It's so hot. She looks so good um, from how everyone responds to her. Uh, and apparently... It's also an outfit that horses hate because when she arrives back at the estate, um, she is set upon again by the horse whose name is Sundance. I love Sundance. We stand. Uh, he bursts out of his pen from a point in, on the estate where he literally can't see her because he has to turn a corner around the house to get to where she is. I don't know how he sensed she was there, but he um, he corners her and in her panic, she gets inside a car and then he starts like, I don't know how to describe the movement, but huffing the car with his hooves to, to try and get at her. And uh, she, she, she's freaking out and at one point kind of hits him with the thinnest stick in the world. It looks like kind of like a willow frond. 
but yeah, there, there's an altercation with the horse. Julia is also introduced to the neighbour who's called Professor Jarvis, who seems to know stuff about the Ozarks and mysticism and who Linda Blair refers to as the local occult expert because he's an anthropologist. So he's going to be the one to crack this shit wide open. In films like this, it's either the goth will crack this shit wide open or the, the professor of mysticism will crack this shit wide open. Those are generally the two people who crack stuff. He then says that Julia looks like she is from the Ozarks in terms of like her bone structure and eyes, which is weird. Um, but she says that her parents just moved there. So obviously she she's not going to look like someone who's related to people who, who live in the Ozarks, right? Again, I completely breezed past this and forgot that this had occurred, but the movie was dropping serious fucking hints. Uh, which I just did not pick up on. I, I blame the pollen. Post-horse attack, everyone jumps to defend Julia and condemn Sundance as some sort of predator. Uh, and her dad, uh, Rachel's dad, then says that Sundance should be stabled at the club. Why do these people not have a spare room that they can put Julia in? It boggles the mind. But uh, Rachel is defending the horse and therefore gets into a massive argument with everyone else in her family. So it appears that a wedge is being driven between her and her family. We then get a very weird scene where her dad bandages Julia's ankle, but does so in what I can only describe as a sexy Grey's Anatomy way. More on this later. Later is now, because Julia is in the next scene playing chess with the dad, as you do, and soundly thrashing him. And uh, then she gets up and gives him a massage, which is an inappropriate Grey's Anatomy massage. Rachel comes in and she's really mad because when they went shopping, she bought some pink fabric to make a dress out of for the dance. But uh, it's not going well. And she's dressing what I can only describe as, if you've ever seen RuPaul's Drag Race, you know there's the one queen that can't sew. It's that. It's a piece of fabric wrapped around her with another piece of fabric tied as like a bow at the top over the boobs. It looks terrible, um, and uh, she says that she's already unpicked it like three times and she's been working on it for two weeks, so uh, yikes. When Rachel stomps back to her room to take off the piece of fabric that she's wearing and calling a dress, she finds that there's a picture frame with the glass broken and no picture in it, and I initially thought this was the picture frame that held Mike's picture, but it, it is the one that held hers. I guess we were meant to just remember what the frame looked like. But then she goes to sleep and the next morning wakes up covered in hives um which obviously means she can't go to the dance and when she wakes up screaming uh, julia opens her eyes but doesn't otherwise react she seems to know completely what's going on and to obviously have caused it somehow rachel also has a horse show tomorrow um i guess jumping and various other horse athleticism so she's also worried about not being able to go to that but the dance is the more pressing issue she uh, in the end says obviously she can't go and the, her boyfriend mike is going to come over and watch tv but then Pete, her brother, comes in and says he wants Mike to take Julia to the dance so Julia can see Pete's band play. Because Pete is thirsty for his cousin, which is weird. Now, I'm kind of on the fence at this point in the movie because Rachel has been really annoying and Julia hasn't really done anything evil. But from this point on, I really decided to take Rachel's side because everyone in her family is like, why can't your boyfriend take your cousin to the dance that you now can't go to. What's wrong with you? And it feels like no one is understanding her, particularly when um, Julia comes in and says that the dress she was planning to wear is now ruined, suspiciously, and she wants to borrow something of 
Rachel's. So Rachel says that, you know, I was making a dress. I don't know if this is some backhanded way to have Julia wear the pink monstrosity, but it doesn't work because apparently Julia is just the Chad Michaels of sewing challenges. She just comes out and she's like, oh, you mean this dress? And it looks great on her. I don't know how, but she goes off with Mike to the dance. And then for a moment, while she's standing there, like preening in, in the dress that looks great, her reflection disappears. And Rachel puts this down to the fact that she's on anti-hive medication, which apparently makes you see things. While she's sat at home, covered in hives, Rachel decides to do some investigating. She finds in the sort of tray underneath her bedside lamp, a bunch of spent matches. Again, I don't think we're ever explained like why there's so many spent matches, aside from the fact that obviously someone must have been burning things, but why leave the matches out in the open? Because when she picks up the matches, she throws them in the bin, and in the bin, she finds some sort of crumpled paper which contains what looks like burnt hair. Um, and then the paper turns out to be a piece of patterned draw liner paper, which is a thing that people used to have. Um, and so she goes to check her drawers for where the paper has come from. And in the drawer with the missing paper, she finds what looks like a dick, but also a banana made of kind of like a flesh toned wax substance. But it seems to also have small legs. So I guess it's maybe a model of a horse. And then stuck to it is like clumps of hair which Rachel recognises as belonging to her horse Sundance. She seems way too comfortable holding this thing. It looks wet. That was my main issue. It, it just looked like wet hair that was pulled out of a shower drain. It looked nasty but she just can't wait to keep handling it and she also hides it under her pillow which no why would you, why but she doesn't seem you know to be too concerned. She goes to check on the horse and he's fine. She hugs him and then she she goes back to her room. While she's there, Pete comes home without Julia, who he was meant to be bringing home, and he seems really pissed that Mike, who is Rachel's boyfriend, monopolised Julia all night and wouldn't let her talk to anyone else. He seems mostly pissed on his own behalf because he wanted to get off with his cousin, but then also seems a little bit concerned that obviously her boyfriend's cheating on her, and, and he gives uh, Rachel a hug and then disappears from the film. We don't see him again. It's really odd, uh, but I guess he had lived up to his purpose as a plot device and vanished like dew before the morning sun. The next day, Rachel wakes up and her hives are completely gone, so she is able to compete in the horse show. This turns out to be not a good thing uh, because she gets broken up with by Mike, who says that him and Julia getting together was just one of those chemistry things. And then right after that, her horse flips out mid-show while she's trying to open a gate which is apparently the hardest part of the course. Uh, and uh, he takes her through like an awning and various other things through a fence. Like sh she's not doing too good. Uh, and then she's flipped off the horse. The horse falls down, breaks its leg and then has to be put down, which is very traumatic for her. Like Rachel loses her fucking mind. She runs around screaming when her dad tries to hug her. She says that he doesn't care about her horse. And she like hits him and screams. And it's kind of a normal emotional reaction, I guess, if you're a teenager, which she's meant to be. And you feel like you're losing a not only a beloved pet, but a pet that everyone around you dislikes and mistrusts and also a horse isn't technically what i would call a pet it's more of i guess like a big leggy friend again i'm not a horsey girl but i can kind of understand where she's coming from we then get a little montage of rachel being sidelined in various social situations while everyone focuses on julia she goes on dates with mike she plays with bobby the the young kid 
monopolises various amounts of attention from her parents, the huge. Rachel goes to Professor Jarvis then to ask about mind control and whether people can make events occur. So we're getting into some of the, the witchy elements that I was promised in the film. Professor Jarvis says some various things about how this depends on the method being used and the power of the individual. And he also says that the magic of yesterday is today's technology. And he gives the example of everyone's actions can cause things to happen in a way that doesn't immediately seem connected. For instance, if you dial a number a phone can ring on the other side of the world and that would have seemed magical but now is just commonplace which I kind of liked uh, as an idea. He then gives her some books which are just hanging out in the boot of his car because that's where I keep my books and she wants to show him the wax dick thing but um, now she can't find it because she hid it under her pillow which is not a secure location Linda what are you doing? Uh, she can't find it, but she does come across a picture of her, which is the one missing from the frame, which has red dots painted all over it. So pretty obviously it caused hives. She then confronts Julia very unwisely. Julia remains completely unruffled. And uh, then Rachel very unwisely mentions the professor and his ex um, how she's going to use his expertise to prove that something is going on. Obviously, shit's not going to go well for that professor now. Uh, the dad then uh, lives up to the mum's earlier terrible moments of just like, get over your parents' deaths, by calling Rachel's dislike of Julia petty jealousy. And then he says that Rachel should move out of her own room and in with her brother Bobby. Uh, it's only been a month, by the way, since Rachel lost her boyfriend to Julia. So dad's being very insensitive, but pretty sure dad's being mind controlled by magic. So... I'll give him like a 40% discount on being an asshole. Rachel then finds more spent matches. I have no idea what the deal is with these. Professor Jarvis is then discovered apparently having passed out in his front yard and rushed to hospital on suspicion of having like a heart attack or a stroke. And a letter arrives uh, via the mail carrier who bumps into Rachel from someone called Mary in Boston and it is for Julia. Julia acts incredibly sketchy when questioned about this letter, and I assumed because it was a letter from Boston, which is very near Salem, that it might be from someone she was in a coven with or something like that, but it turns out to be, have a completely different meaning entirely. Rachel then visits the professor in hospital and seems genuinely worried about him. She reads a little bit about witches when she comes home, and we get two pieces of information that witches are only not in power when they are asleep, and will always manipulate their way to greater power to do evil. Felt to me very much like the omen, um, how Damien is born into this family, which has a very um, prestigious father, and then manipulates events so that he is then adopted by an even more prestigious family, because as the Antichrist, he gets more power and status by doing that. And that felt very much like what Julia was about, that she was coming from this poorer family. She was now living this rich lifestyle and she was taking the family away from Rachel. So it kind of worked for me in this film. Rachel then sneaks into Julia's room while she's asleep and therefore powerless and finds the torn up letter. She puts it back together and reads it. And it turns out to be a letter mostly talking about how Julia is missed singing and how they want to see her when she's next performing back at college because this is one of Julia's friends from the school she attends in Massachusetts. Rachel then gets a call from Carolyn at the hospital to say the professor is actually getting better so she sneaks out to go see him and um, the professor then gives her a third piece of very helpful information which is that a witch cannot be photographed. 
because they do not reflect light and that there is nothing real or of the flesh about them. Which explains why she briefly didn't see her in the mirror, because everything that Julia is, is fake. It's a projection. It's not even real. I kind of liked that idea. It reminded me of something from the lollipop shoes where glamours cannot be photographed. So on film, Zosie, who is this kind of bright, charismatic woman, appears as this ugly, dowdy, conniving woman that she actually is. Um, I didn't kind of really understand it because for her whole reflection to disappear it kind of implies that there is literally nothing real about her, that she just is not solid or existent. So um, although I understood like showing up on film, that the, the mirror thing kind of bothered me. But uh, with this knowledge, Rachel is therefore armed to try and out Julia as evil and a witch. She then plots to have Julia used in her stead because her mum takes catalogue pictures i guess it's her job at home uh, so she gets julia to be as a stand-in for her because she doesn't really feel like it uh, and to model with mike julia acts literally like a puppet with cut strings on camera she just kind of dingle dangles her lifeless limbs around while trying to avoid looking at the lens which um you know it's it's not a good look uh, Rachel's mum goes to develop the film, but then she says that she'll actually get round to doing Julia's film after a road trip that she's planning on taking with Rachel the next day, and that she's invited Julia along on that road trip. So Rachel's pretty pissed. The mum also seems to feel that something is wrong about Julia because she is initially kind of sympathetic and doesn't instantly dismiss what Rachel is saying. But when Rachel starts talking about Julia being a witch, she yells at her to get that filth out of her head and then slaps her in the face. So she's not having the supernatural angle. This made me wonder actually, because she says, that's my sister's daughter. And surely if Julia is a witch, she must have inherited that from the family. So I was kind of confused about that. I cannot begin to tell you how stupid I felt by the end of this movie. I had missed something so completely obvious that I will, I will get to in a minute, but Jesus Christ. Julia then borrows a map of where they are going to be going the next day, obviously for some sort of nefarious means. The mum then witnesses Julia and the dad feeding each other in the light of the fridge, like their Nigella fucking Lawson sneaking downstairs in their little negligees for some fucking chocolate covered strawberries. But she's obviously perturbed by this, and when she confronts him about it, she is completely rebuffed. He tells her there's nothing going on, she's mad. Rachel then begs off the trip by saying that she, you know, doesn't feel like going, she doesn't feel well, but also finds out that then Julia has begged off, so the mum has now gone alone, and she's certain that, that something is going to go down. She then finds in Julia's room a map with the uh, area on the map burnt out where her mum's going to be, and a dead bug folded into it, so... We're probably looking at another car accident here. She finds Julia then trying on her mum's clothes in the bedroom for her dad. So it's pretty safe to say at this moment that dad is under some sort of spell because this is just not normal behaviour. Rachel then independently develops the pictures in which Julia does not appear. These pictures are hilarious because it's just Mike with his arm around nothing. Uh, but then Julia attacks her and sets fire to one of the developed pictures, not all, uh, but then the two have a fight, um, which is uh, basically just a lot of hair pulling and shrieking and not an actual fight fight. But during the course of the fight, it is revealed that Julia is not Julia. She is actually Sarah, 
the cleaner that her parents had hired, and she has been impersonating Julia, who died in the car crash. I'm an idiot because I didn't see that coming. Even though I'd seen Satanic, which is a very similar film where someone dies in a car crash and someone else kind of assumes their identity-ish, this did not occur to me. And I felt like at every turn it was because there had been a reasonable explanation. Like, I didn't buy that the housekeeper was in the car with them, but then they were like, oh, well, they were just taking her home. And I was like, well, that's a good explanation. And when she showed up in clothes that didn't fit, I was like, oh, yeah, she's just... It's just to show that she's a fish out of water. No, the clothes didn't fit her because they didn't belong to her. I was just an idiot. I just completely steamrolled over so many of these clues. But there we go. It turns out that Julia is not Julia. And therefore all the suspicious, weird, incesty stuff is kind of moderately less disgusting, but still pretty terrible. After all the hair pulling, Julia gets locked in the dark room. But so then Rachel's dad attacks her because he's clearly in some sort of trance and has to be subdued. Julia then has a minor temper tantrum, just throwing things in the dark room, and then she roars, and her eyes go all weird like they were in that superimposed business at the beginning of the movie, and the door explodes. So she and her crazy red eyes leave the dark room and, and go out for vengeance. But Rachel gets Mike to help her, and they jump in the car to go after her mum. Mike is apparently not under a spell at this point, because obviously he isn't like trying to subdue her for Julia. So maybe it's just because Julia has transferred her energies onto the dad, because obviously that's her main focus. But I found it very weird uh, that Mike was suddenly helping Rachel and believing everything that she said, even before they get to the incontrovertible proof of her trying to kill them. Julia then chases after them in a different car. How many cars does this family have? The car that Rachel and Mike in starts to drive itself wildly, even though he still seems to have control of the wheel, or at the very least is still turning it manfully in an attempt to control the car. Julia then crashes into a parked car, which is like pulled over at the side of the road, um, but she then pops their hood up with her psychic powers, causing their car to crash, so they now have to escape on foot. In the distance, they see Rachel's mum's car going nuts and, and we go inside that car and see her like screaming and trying to pump the brake. But in a cruel twist of irony, as Julia is driving towards Rachel and Mike to try and kill them, she is run off the road by the car that she is psychically controlling with Rachel's mum in. And so she crashes off the cliff and her car is apparently made of fucking napalm because it just explodes and uh, presumably kills her. Uh, the mum then stops the car a mere inch from Linda Blair, who actually steps backwards as it comes, so I feel like the car was meant to stop sooner. Um, Rachel then, in a scene where the family is happy and at home again, explains why it appeared that Julia's clothes were ill-fitting, etc, etc. I worked out that Julia wasn't actually Julia a little bit before the reveal, but not enough before the reveal that I didn't feel stupid, so, oh dear. But yeah, all that's been explained now. Mum seems super forgiving of the dad because they're all lovey-dovey again. And okay, I guess maybe he was under a spell, but would you really forgive him? I'm not so sure I would because even if he was under a spell, you you still saw him like feeding uh, like berries and stuff. I feel like that's a mental image that's not going to go away. Rachel also gets back with Mike, which I'll come back to, and they buy her a new horse who she instantly adores because obviously you can just buy a new friend to make up for the loss of your horse. Maybe I am a horse girl. I seem way into this horse. But anyway, she forgives Mike, which I feel is kind of a 
stupid move because the dad was definitely under a pretty intense spell because he attacked his own daughter to try and defend Julia. Pretty clear that he was being magically manipulated. It's unclear if Mike was because although Mike said that him and Julia kind of got together because it was like instant chemistry, that's the only hint we have that he was under a spell and he definitely wasn't under a spell when he rescued Rachel at the end of the movie. So I don't know that I would be inclined to forgive Mike, but there we go. She has a new horse. It's lovely. In the final scene of the movie, a yellow cab pulls up at a house. And as the door is opened, we switch to a point of view shot as the passenger gets out and goes up some steps to see a little blonde girl and her mum. The mum then introduces, Ta-da! it's Julia, but now with different hair and a different voice. Um, as the new governess for the child and it's pretty obvious that Julia is still alive and still social climbing with magic to cause problems uh, and that's the end of the movie. I did enjoy this film although I kind of missed the plot somewhat because I was suffering terribly. Uh, it was still quite interesting. There was a lot of Lois Duncan about that plot. It was very similar to The Eyes of Karen Connors which is a book that I really like it was kind of interesting and cool. I liked the characters. I liked the fact that witchcraft was being used in this kind of the omen way uh, as a, a tool for taking over people's lives and kind of improving your own situations. I also liked that the magic that Julia or Sarah was doing was kind of what normal actual practitioners of magic would do. There were poppets, there was sympathetic magic with the, the drawing on the picture. Uh, I wish we'd seen maybe a little bit more of that, um, but I understand, I guess, why, why we didn't get many scenes of, of Julia actually performing magic. But that was cool. I could have done with some more lore as to like where her powers had come from or, or anything like that. But uh, it, it was a pretty entertaining film. The acting was pretty solid. The conclusion was good because it kind of summed up everything and our main characters were safe and happy, but also... It didn't completely murder the witch with the power of Christ, which is what a lot of these older films tend to do. So I enjoyed that as well. It was a pretty good one. Uh, and I would recommend it if you are the kind of person like me who enjoys a little bit of that, like teen novels from like the 70s, that sort of age. Like if you're a fan of Flowers in the Attic, if you're a fan of like other works by Lois Duncan, you're probably going to like this movie. It's not really similar to like many modern films that I could speak of, but it's still pretty entertaining and I enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed this review and in the meantime take care of yourselves and I'll see you in the next one.